You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. We've got a lot going on on this episode. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue with you as always. And we're going to bring on Mark Brennan for a lot of basketball conversation a little bit later here in the show. Uh, Penn State sputtering towards the finish line of this regular season, but certainly on track still uh, for a relatively high seed in the Big Ten tournament. And beyond that, we'll see where they land, but they're headed to March Madness, it looks like, regardless of how things shake out in conference play. Mark covers the team as well as anybody, I would say better than anybody on the basketball beat. He's been doing it for Lions 24-7 all season long. You'll hear from him a little bit later here. I know some Hoops fans out there, that should excite you. We've been getting some uh, some calls to have him on and talk more basketball. You're going to get that. But we're going to talk a lot about Penn State football as always. Uh, Sean, we're going to get into what we saw on Wednesday afternoon, getting in for the annual media access towards the tail end of winter workouts, NFL Combine uh, results for the Penn State players, uh, a bunch of recruiting notes to get to here on the show too. But we start with a decommitment, one that last week when we addressed the tight end position going through those uh, priorities on the 2021 recruiting trail. We said Nick Elksness on board for now. Well, that didn't last long. Sunday, he announced that he is out of the class. Ohio State, the Florida Gators among teams uh, that are looking closely at him, and he's looking at them back. The Gators trending on the crystal ball. Uh, But he made that move pretty quickly, and and Penn State moves on now. Yeah, Penn State thought they could get him up for a visit in uh, March for a couple days, maybe to rediscover that feeling. Just wasn't happening. That's something that happens all the time in, in, in recruiting, especially with Florida. Recruiting is a long way away. Florida, now the odds on favorite. I put in my crystal ball for him right away. But yeah, it's one of those things where it, it seemed inevitable once he, he got to Florida. Tim Brewster was hired at Florida. Tim Brewster is, is a hell of a recruiter, relentless recruiter, and that distance is hard to overcome. Having your parents there to see you was a big deal, of, uh, was a big part of it. Elksness in the end. You know, really like Penn State, but uh, it's just not uh, it's not the package that he was looking for. As you mentioned, recruiting tight ends has kind of taken care of itself in the last couple of cycles. Of course, uh, Brenton Strange is a redshirt freshman. You got Theo Johnson came in in January. Brenton Strange, uh, or excuse me, uh, uh, Tyler Warren will get here this summer. So the room's healthy. Zach Kuntz is there. Pat Frymuth, of course, is there for one more year. Um, but it, it's pretty much a, an assembly line at this point. So not sure who they're going to sign. believe it's going to be a good one. They offered Jack Pugh out of Ohio a few weeks ago. He's going to visit. Uh, I spoke with uh, Maliki uh, Mataveo from Las Vegas. He's going to visit at the end of this month. Uh, there's a couple other guys uh, all across the uh, the country that, that you talked about in your piece last week about uh, where they could look. So they've got options out there. And of course, Brock Bowers was on campus. The talented tight end out of Napa, California was on campus uh, yesterday as we recorded on a Friday morning. Bowers, number two over Overall in the tight end rankings for 24-7 sports, he was a major riser uh, in that top 24-7 that dropped a couple weeks ago. And, and, and as you said, put together a piece on the tight end options moving forward. That was on Monday, and they added an option pretty quickly after that. A former Texas Longhorns commit 
who is at, in high school down in Texas, Lake McCree, who goes to Lake Travis. Pretty interesting setup there. Um, he gave, gave me a few minutes and, you know, nothing major to report from that other than, you know, kind of the initial takeaway that every tight end has. That Penn State is a program that produces tight end talent. They see what Mike Kosicki is doing in the NFL. They see what Pat Fryermuth is doing on campus right now. Um, and it's also, you know, it's, it's one that's going to turn your attention, just like we've said at running back. And, you know, we finished all these conversations about tight Ends it seems with regardless of what happens, they're going to get a good one. Still feel that way. You talked about Jack Pugh of Ohio visiting and getting an offer. Um, one of four offers in the past month of this position. Maybe there's potential, and we said this last week for another two tight end class um, moving forward in the 2021 cycle. That would be uh, three of them in four years if they were to sign multiple tight ends. Um, so, Sean, I think when you look at this, you know, you talk to to to, to Maliki, um, who's down in Nevada. I talked to Lake, who's down in Texas. Uh, Steve Wilfong talked to Jack, who's in Ohio, and you talked to Brock Bowers, who's all the way from California. The thing here is, and they had a commit in Florida. I think it's all reflective of how national and how broadly Tyler Bowen can target this position and and not settle for anything less than than a pretty stellar talent at the end of the day. It's kind of such a specialized position that you look at the top of the board uh, across college football, and Notre Dame has recruited uh, tight end as well as anybody in the country. And you know, you just kind of look at the same targets, looking at all the schools. I mean, you look at Theo Johnson last year, looking at Iowa, which obviously has a tremendous uh, tradition of pumping out tight end prospects. Georgia's done a nice job in terms of, of producing pro prospects, even though they haven't put up some of the numbers that uh, you know some of the other places have. So there's there's a set number of schools, and it's kind of like that for every position. But uh, with tight end, uh, Penn State has worked their way into that mix. Uh, Elijah Arroyo from Texas is another guy that you highlighted in your piece that's probably going to be up for a visit. Um, Thomas Fedone has just really taken off in terms of his recruitment since the underclassmen combine in San Antonio in January. Um, you know he's a he's a possibility for a visit, so no shortage of possibilities. You'd love to have uh, sort of the cache of prospects that you have at tight end at some other spots right now. So uh, it's just a uh, it, it's a spot that's kind of taking care of itself. And you mentioned a two tight end class doesn't really take uh, make a ton of sense when you look at the roster. But hey, if, if these if this many talented kids want to get out and see you and 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 you're open to adding athleticism at a versatile position, and that's something I think that we see this year with the offense is is moving these guys around. Pat Fryermuth, we saw him in the slot last year. I think you can see that with uh, with Zach Koontz and Brenton Strange as well. Versatile guys that you can move around uh, close to the line of scrimmage, or excuse me, close to the football, um, you know, as a traditional tight end, put him on the wing, put him on the slot, even put him out wide and see what you've got with that. Yeah, Kirk Shirak has got a lot to work with, and I think that Penn State has embraced that. And when you take a look at what they have at wide receiver right now, I mean, it makes sense to put some of these guys to put more tight ends onto the field. So we'll see where it goes from there. Not uh, ultra, uh, you know, concerned or anything about them losing Nick Elksness. It's a Florida guy. You kind of put it in a different pile, sort of like you did with Derek Wingo last year. I mean, you just kind of tip your hat and move forward. We'll see what happens with some of these other targets. But in terms of being worried about recruiting or worried about uh, recruiting tight ends, 
really not uh, not feeling it with this one. Yeah, and I think based on what we've seen from Pat Fryermuth the past couple of seasons, what we've heard about how he has attacked this offseason thus far, anticipating that brand will be further built up in 2020 for Penn State at the tight end position. Long story short, though, Sean, we're in the first Friday of March, and Penn State holds two commitments. You talked about not being concerned about tight end recruiting. What's your take right now on, on where Penn State stands now coming out of the dead period and looking to build this 2021 class? Well, they certainly need to build a little bit of momentum here. I think that's something that a lot of people have commented on, where are the commits, all that kind of stuff. The calendar has really changed things, and I think that's tough for some people to understand because they look at Ohio State, and Ohio State has a top class with 10 kids in there. It's a little bit different. If you look down further down the list, you see I think Alabama's got two or three commits. Georgia's got two or three commits. Uh, it's it's kind of in line with where Penn State is now. You, you would like to have more in the boat right now. But really the calendar has changed not so much uh, with the February dead period that we've spoken so much about. But in the last three cycles with those spring and summer official visits, I look back uh, a couple of classes ago, uh, you've you, you very limited sample data here because you've only got three classes that were involved with the spring and summer official visits. But two classes ago, Penn State had two commits at this time, didn't get their third commit until I think Caden Wallace at the blue-white game in, in 2018, 17, whatever year that was. And then two years, or then last class, I believe there was six commits and four, three or four of them did ended up not sticking at this point. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a balancing act for a lot of schools right now. I think there probably are quite a few fan bases like Penn State's right now that are frustrated with the the output. But really, it's kind of the same story all all across the board. I mean, there's a couple notable exceptions. Ohio State, we mentioned. North Carolina's on fire right now. Florida's doing really well. But for the most part, it's kind of right in line. Now, you would like to see a little bit more more momentum at certain spots. I think, uh, you know, the coaching changes have, you know, had a, a profound impact on what kind of momentum they would have had. They had that junior day in early December where you've got guys like uh, Dante Thornton and Jaleel Farouk and Caden Prather all come up to see Jared Parker and the staff. Well, now all of a sudden they make that change. Taylor Stubblefield is is there now. There's a limited number of dates when you can get them back, and that's a long time between visits, not getting the face time with some of these coaches. So you'd like to see some more momentum at receiver. I think they're okay at offensive line, even though you know you, you were never going to get those four, all four of those guys that we talked about: uh, Nolan Rucci, Landon Tangwall. Wyatt Millam and Tristan Lee. Tristan Lee's at Virginia this weekend. Um, so, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you'd like to see momentum at some certain spots, but really you're not you're not in as bad of a situation as I think a lot of people feel they are just because you just have the two commits. A springboard opportunity in the upcoming weeks for Penn State. That they'll be getting prospects on campus uh, during spring practices. Obviously, the blue-white game, April 18th, is always a, a pretty good destination event uh, where they try to draw prospects and their families, uh, you know, for all the festivities that go into that Saturday in the spring. And of course, as Sean just mentioned, uh, April also represents the opening of that early official visit window. And that's been a game changer uh, through a couple cycles of of its existence. Uh, Mentioned at the top of the show that we had an opportunity on Wednesday afternoon to take a peek inside Penn State's offseason strength and conditioning program. Uh, The nationally 
uh, recognized Dwight Galt, who was featured prominently in uh, 24-7 Sports Charles Power, uh, a write-up that he did on the premier strength and conditioning coaches across college football, how their success has correlated at the NFL Combine. Uh, Galt is always mentioned in those conversations. This was no different. And we got him. We get him twice a year, uh, lift for life, and also on, on this occasion, and always great insight. We'll talk about some of that. But uh, Sean, just waiting around um, to get into the weight room with other media members, um, you, Mark, myself, you know, we, we saw some freshmen, uh, some younger guys pass through. I just want to reiterate something that you had mentioned on our message board. We didn't see the entire roster in action. That's not how it worked. It was a lot of the older guys, a lot of the more established players. They were maxing out on the squat rack uh, across the weight room for the most part. Um, but, but always come away with some tidbits from this event. Yeah, it's always fun to get in there and see what we can see. Uh, again, this was an, uh, an event for some of the upper class. I'm not really an event, but you know, it, it's Wednesday at 1.30 in the afternoon. So a lot of these guys are going to be at class. A lot of these guys have different uh, uh, commitments to make. Uh, we saw some of the younger guys filter in later in the process or walk through. You know, It just wasn't their time to lift. So it was a lot of the veterans, a lot of the guys that we've seen for a long time. So if you're looking for stunning transformations or anything like that, this is probably not the group to to, to, to witness lift, but still some impressive performances. Uh, liked what I saw from a couple guys. Des Holmes was there. Uh, he looks strong. Be interesting to see how they use him in the spring. Uh, Zach Kuntz, who I talked about earlier with the tight ends, he's a strong kid, man. 256 pounds and really doesn't look it. Uh, you know, he's he's really tall. I mean, you, you got to stand beside him to to get an appreciation for how big this kid is. We'll see if that translates. Of course, he'll have more of an opportunity with Nick Bowers out of here, going to be competing with Brenton Strange for that backup tight end spot behind Pat Fryermuth. Thought he looked good. Uh, they've, they've put up some impressive numbers. Um, didn't have some of the guys that they're typically used to putting up some of their freak numbers. And they've also dialed back with some guys. Dwight Galt mentioned that they've dialed back Micah Parsons. Sean Clifford has been limited throughout workouts. That's no secret uh, you know, to our readers. So it's it's been... Uh, a, a different look at things, but still, it's always fun to get in there. You, you feel the energy. You feel some of the, that, those leadership qualities that, you, that you're kind of looking for on the sidelines and uh, the guys cheering and everything like that. But it, it, it's a fun uh, little glimpse into what they go through because that's, uh, that's some serious weight that they're slinging around. One more point, uh, Anthony Wigan is a guy that I was impressed by. Not sure where he fits in this year. He took the red shirt year last year after transferring in from Lackawanna Junior College. But last year at this event, did 340 on the squat, I think seven times. This year, he was up to four, uh, it was about 415 or something like that, six times. Uh, tremendous strides for Anthony Wigan in one year, and that was the knock on him coming in. He just did not have that lower body strength that you look for in a in a power five offensive lineman. We have photos and full coverage uh, of this access up on lines247.com, but I have some of the numbers in front of me that, that I took away as pretty notable. Uh, you mentioned Micah Parsons being uh, you know kind of dialed back and them saying, okay, you've maxed out enough. Let's just sustain from here. Um, he's now in sole possession of the linebacker power clean record, 375 pounds. Last winter, he established the high mark for squat among linebackers, 575 pounds. Antonio Shelton um, takes over Barkley at second place uh, on the bench press. I think a lot of people thought he overtook Barkley 
for first place, but we got to give Steven Gonzalez a, a tip of the cap. He still tops that list with 475 pounds. Shelton goes to 465. I think we're all pretty accustomed, though, to just assuming Saquon Barkley's at the top of every single one of these record lists because it may as well be called the Barkley board up there in the weight room. Des Holmes, you mentioned it, uh, you know, a guy who was putting up big numbers uh, throughout this offseason from what we heard. Uh, all-time offensive line leader since they've been, uh, you know, documenting stuff on, on that board, uh, which is, you know, seven years at this point. 375 pound clean to go with the seven reps of 450 he put up on the squat rack um, on Wednesday. And then uh, another guy who stood out, uh, you mentioned Caden Wallace uh, getting the 400 pounds. Uh, Akeem Beeman, 395 pounds. That's only eight months after he arrived on campus. And, and that was something that we got from, from Galt at that 395 pound bench. Uh, Beeman stood out just from the eye test in the lobby of, of, of the Lash building. Again, didn't see a lot of the young guys work out. I think you would add Smith Vilbert to that list. And I think I would, I don't know if you were there when I saw him, but ran into Caden Wallace briefly. He is, you know, trimmed down. And, and I say that despite the fact that he's still 325 plus pounds. We talked a lot during his recruitment about how he was transforming his body as a high school senior. It has paid off, and he enters his second year on campus. And again, what did he get to campus last May? He he, he looks the part right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, it was uh, Smith Vilbert's a guy that I ran into in the hallway. Actually, he just he's a big dude, man. Uh, I, I'm a fairly large uh, human being myself. Um, Smith Vilbert makes me feel small and there's not a ton of guys in that, in that, uh, room that, that, that can do that. Hakeem Beeman, I, I like a lot and I'm really, really curious to see where he's at this spring. They still like him as a defensive tackle, but he has that athletic ability where he can slide out if they need to play the run like they did with Kevin Givens against an Iowa or against a Wisconsin or something like that. They are very high on Hakeem Beeman. He looks bigger. He walked in with Devon Ellis, you know, who kind of has reshaped a little bit as well. We'll see where he stands on the depth chart in the spring. Um, but yeah, some some of those younger guys, and that's that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. We saw a bunch of the older guys, saw a bunch of the the names that we're familiar with, and really you don't see a ton of transformation in those guys because they've already been through that. Um, the, the the younger guys that we got to see at the end, uh, of course, uh, you know they look impressive coming off of redshirt years. Another guy, Joey Porter, was actually part of that. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. was actually part of that uh, that lifting group that we saw. He's got length, man. I mean, I know mm. we, we we joke about that and talk about that, but he's a he's a tall kid. I mean, he's six two, but you know, when you look at his features, when you look at his his arm length and things like that, you think you're standing beside somebody that's about six four. So it's a, it's pretty cool to see that. Uh, freshman uh, Keandre Lambert off to a very good start. We talked, you know, he, he, they've sort of bubbled up to the top. He and Keziah Holmes, in terms of what we're hearing. Uh, as impressive uh, early enrollee guys in the strength program now. Still got to put the pads on, and Lambert, uh, you know, to his credit, probably doesn't have as much traffic in front of him as Keziah Holmes um, at running back, but uh, they're expecting him to, uh, to to compete right away. And given what we saw from him as a prospect, the testing numbers that he put up, that's really not a surprise, but he got some strength numbers up. Dwight Galt was highlighting that uh, during his uh, press availability. Two potential centerpiece uh, players in that offensive attack with Keziah Holmes uh, and Keandre Lambert might not be 2020, certainly in the case of Keziah Holmes, but guys you think could play a huge role moving forward. Early returns have been good. Heard some good things about Enzo Jennings to some degree as well from Dwight Galt, uh, going to be playing at the safety position where uh, that's an interesting depth chart at safety. And then additionally, s- some good positive early feedback. Galt 
Holt went out of his way to point to Nick Dawkins. Uh, and a lot of that was about his mentality, um, his steady leadership. As much as you can be a leader, it's more, uh, you know, kind of incubated within that early enrollee group, the 11 guys who got to campus. But um, that's always prom- that's always promising to hear. Nick Dawkins, you'd think, would be a red shirt all the way in 2020. But his role as a class leader, and you've heard him here on the show in the past, has translated through a couple months on campus. That's important because with 100 plus guys on a roster, it does help when each class kind of has uh, its own tone setter. Dawkins seems to be the guy there. Uh, you mentioned Brenton Strange, you know, transforming himself at tight end. Galt gave us the numbers. Uh, 246 pounds is where he weighed in at on Wednesday. Uh, about 35 pounds heavier than his initial college weight. And then Adiza Isaac, you've documented this right after the Cotton Bowl, I believe. Um, he, he came to camp at Penn State before his senior year at 205. He checked in last year as an early, early enrollee at 220. Now Galt reports he's at 257 pounds on his six foot four frame. Combine that with the fact that Jason Owe, redshirt sophomore, had five sacks last year. Limited right now, coming off of, of what Galt described as uh, some shoulder issues. So he's been kind of on a separate regiment within the workout this winter. Um, the door seems to be open right there for Adiza Isaac to make a push to take that starting spot vacated by Etor Grossmatos. No doubt about it. Yeah, we'll see how much we see Jason Alway uh, in camp this spring. But yeah, you've got every opportunity. John Scott Jr. is not walking into the deepest uh, defensive end room that he's going to have. Now, they'll obviously add to that in the summer. Signed a big defensive line class last year. But Adisa Isaac, is uh, he's a pro prospect. I mean, he's he's the next guy in line in terms of, uh, in my eyes, in terms of being a potential day one pick at, uh, at defensive end. So really excited to see how he progresses. He's blown up since he's gotten here. Um, you know, he, he flashed some things last year. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be that running competition. We talk about the competition between Owe and Micah Parsons, but that running competition between Owe and Adisa Isaac on the field is going to be really interesting. I mean, you got Shaka Tony back. You, you, you're curious what Shane Simmons is going to bring to the table. And of course, Smith Vilbert's the guy that's been uh, sort of rising in, in the staff size as well. So not the deepest spot in, in terms of numbers, but still you've got some defensive ends that, that have a ton of talent. Also, regarding defensive end, Nick Tarburton uh, just can't get healthy. He's still on crutches. He was working around. That that you know, It's nice to see him doing some stuff because we really haven't seen much of him throughout his career. It's been inf- unfortunate. But uh, really, that's probably the expectation for him this spring is to not see him again. Um, again, from the injury front, Juice Scruggs on the offensive line. He was in there, and, and I'll be honest with you, any time that you can see Juice Scruggs after what he went through in that car accident, injuring the, the, the back, anything that you can see him do from a football standpoint is is great. We saw him out there. He wasn't completely pushing or maxing or anything like that, but we saw him out there working out, and we think we'll see some of him this spring. So I'm excited for Juice, uh, for him to get back out there. That's a guy that they were extremely high on before he uh, had the car accident. So we'll see where he fits in in the spring. Yeah. Going back to Tarburton, that was tough to see. One of the first things that, that we really encountered in the weight room on Wednesday was him you know, moving around on those crutches. A former All-State linebacker transitioned to defensive end during his first spring practice. Got to campus two years ago. So, uh, you know, again, still in recovery mode. We'll see where it takes him. In terms of someone who seems to be in tip-top shape, 
Journey Brown building off of the momentum that that he gained uh, during the second half of the season last year. Uh, Dwight Galt raved about him being the leader of the pack in a very talented and very accountable running back room where they have the right mentality. He says a lot of that still dates back to what Saquon Barkley uh, basically hammered home in that running back room during his time on campus. But Journey Brown, listen to this combination. He is now benching 395 pounds. He weighs 211 pounds. Uh, and he is combining that with a program best 4.29 second 40-yard dash. And I should qualify that, a program best among running backs since that board was established. So that means better than Saquon Barkley's time at Penn State. He's at 4.29 in the 40-yard dash, and he's benching nearly 400 pounds. That combination of speed and strength was always the question, would we see that from Journey Brown? We know he has the vision. We have He's, he's proven a lot. Seven touchdowns, nearly 400 rushing yards in the final four regular season games. Followed that up with Cotton Bowl MVP honors and a postseason record for Penn State with 202 rushing yards. Count me on the hype train with Journey Brown. I know we were all kind of hesitant uh, last year, and, and he just kept doing it. But Dwight Galt spent a lot of time highlighting what he has meant to this program this offseason. Something clicked last summer for him when he was out on the suspension. Uh, I hope to write that story one day when it's uh, appropriate. But yeah, something something really just uh, the light went on. Journey was a guy that you would always say lacked focus uh, academically, lacked focus off the field. That's come full circle. We knew the athletic ability was there. We knew, you know, some of that a football ability was there, but you know, he's really come around and, and and done a nice job with that. And those numbers are 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 pretty impressive. I you almost shorted my guy Drew Hartlob there. I almost uh, who did. is the fastest guy uh, on the roster. But uh, Journey Brown for what he's doing uh, and what he's producing has been a, a phenomenal story for Penn State. Uh, you know, you, you, we talked this uh, we talked about this when Ricky Slade transferred. You know, Ricky Slade's a pretty talented kid. You know, flat out got beat out. Uh, Journey Brown made the most of it. Of course, Noah Kane's still there. Devin Ford's still there. You've got the young infusion of Kaziah Holmes and Kevon Lee is going to show up in the spring, or I guess spring or summer, whenever he's getting here. Um, but you've got uh, you've got a lot to like about that running back room. We saw Kane, we saw Ford walk in, of course, in hoodies and things like that. So not much you could take away from him, but. Really, really good-looking running back room, and uh, Jay Wan Sider's got plenty to play with. Some of the names and numbers that we just spent time going over should be very intriguing to NFL scouts in 2021 and beyond. Um, this time around, though, there were five Penn State uh, players or former Penn State players now who are involved in the NFL Combine last week. Sean, uh, you wrote up a, a really solid review early this week on, on how those guys tested out. Not everybody tested. We mentioned last week K.J. Hamler would not be running the 40-yard dash after he said he had a hamstring tweak during his training. Turned out Yitor Grossmatos did not run the 40-yard dash. We're going to stay tuned for the pro day coming uh, here on campus in a couple of weeks, Sean. Uh, but for now, uh, what were your biggest takeaways from the combine we talked about this before we got on john reed had himself a nice week john reed won that among penn state players or former penn state players there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever he came out had the fastest shuttle in the combine i mean just uh, any position any player that was there john reed was the fastest with a 3.97 second shuttle uh 20 reps on the bench which was was number five in corners 
36 and a half inch vert, which was number eight among corners, 10-9 broad, number five among corners, uh, and a 4-4-9-40, which is pretty much what we thought he would do. Uh, I think it was just uh, 15 or 16 among corners. So uh, phenomenal uh, appearance by John Reed. Like I said, w- when you flip on John Reed's tape, and I know a lot of people are down on Reed and that entire secondary after you know they basically were torched for the second half of the 2019 season, but for the most part, John Reed, when he was asked to cover in man, did a really good job. He gives up some size, but there are going to be teams out there looking for a nickel corner, and that's really where John Reed is going to make his money as a nickel corner. I mean, you know he brings a lot of the intangibles that you look for, and, and I think he can stick with the roster. I think he can show, I think he went out and showed this weekend that he belongs athletically. Um, the tape is, is good in man. The uh, the testing, or excuse me, the interviews and things like that have no issue with, with John Reed there. But did he belong athletically? And he proved at the combine that that he does. Yeah, and then some. And and you know, Yitor Grossmatos, you continue to see him coming away from the combine. You know, you always see some curious risers and followers in the mock drafts, particularly when you pay attention to those who are true NFL insiders, because maybe what they're gathering from the combine was not apparent to everybody who's just watching along and following along with the TV coverage. And, you know, you see some guys slip because of what maybe happens behind those scenes. But we've seen Yutor Grossmatos actually stabilize. And, in fact, with NFL.com uh, draft guru uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's about tapped in as, as anybody is, he was part of that coverage, he did not have Yutor Grossmatos in his first-round projection going into the combine. Coming out of it, he is now at number 22 to the Buffalo Bills. So you, you continue to see Yutor land somewhere I would say typically between 20 and 30. Um, Occasionally you'll see KJ Hamler land maybe to the Packers at number 30, but consistently more so in the top 50 into that second round. But, you know, Pro Day is going to provide another launching pad, but so far so good, I would say, for Utah Gross Matos making his first round case, although he was not a complete tester um, out in Indianapolis. Among the explosion numbers, 34-inch vertical, 10-foot broad. That vert was number four among defensive linemen. That broad jump, number six among defensive linemen. So I think maybe the question about uh, Yuturgos Matos, you like the way that his tape looked. You like the way that he moved. You know, is he a, a, an athlete at that level? And, and what are his? can he get off the line? What are his explosion numbers? Didn't always show that at Penn State. He showed that, you know, he could get up there and test. You know, of course, Pro Day is uh, March 17th for these Penn State prospects. I don't expect him to do a ton. It sounds like he interviewed very well based on some people that I talked to and I guess some of the buzz that's out there as well. Um, so I'm really impressed with, with Gross Matos. Hamler, on the other hand, uh, you, you know what you're getting from him. And, and I said on the other hand, and I... I don't know why I said that, Um, but uh, moving on to Hamler, you know what you're getting. You're getting a fast guy. You're going to see him run at pro day. Obviously, you want to be as healthy as possible when you're talking hamstrings there. Um, See him run some routes, uh, you know, at, at Penn State's facility. I mean, I don't think there's much mystery to what KJ Hamler is. It's just, does he fit your offense? Does he fit what you're trying to do? Adding a playmaker, even though he might not be the biggest guy, even though he may have a little bit of an injury history, just that, that big game-breaking speed is 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 a lot to, to fall in love with. And I think we'll see an NFL team, I, I don't think reach is the right word, but I think we'll see an NFL team that, that is very, very uh, happy with 
with their selection of KJ Hamler. And I know there are Penn State fans out there who, you know, probably for selfish reasons on many occasions, think he he needed another year at the college level. But, you know, you're talking about the money that, that he's going to stand to earn from even being a second round pick in the NFL. Uh, that's a lot of change heading his way immediately um, and getting to work at the pro level. I, I will say with KJ, you know, it, it's going to be curious because one thing that you keep hearing about with this draft consistently is this wide receiver group and, and the talent that is there at the top and then that trickles all the way down and the volume of wide receivers you could see off the board in the first and second round um, makes things a little tricky because uh, you know you hear this is the best wide receiver class perhaps five six years and you know there are years where KJ maybe comes out and, and we'd be seeing him routinely maybe in first round with mock drafts and stuff but you know right now uh, you know you see him scrapping and clawing to stay inside the top 10 of a lot of the receiver rankings I'm looking at across the board coming out of the combine if he goes and he's able to run at the pro day and puts up an insane 40-yard dash number and uh, can get out there and, and run some routes, catch some passes in front of those scouts. I think that would further, further bolster his case. We know that a lot of NFL teams and a lot of front offices, probably fewer than in years past, but they're willing to set aside a lot of things in order to gain uh, that speed factor, and, and that is what K.J. Hamler is absolutely all about. Uh, he did stress at the combine. He wants to prove that he can do more beyond the slot um, so he can be a, a balanced contributor in a passing game. That's something that he's going to have to go out and, and reinforce during his conversations with front office and, and, and personnel guys. But, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch. Pro Day is always an exciting event. It's, it's often our last opportunity to speak with, with Penn State players until they get to, to the NFL level, and then it gets a little more tricky to to get in touch with them. Uh, but yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, I think um, Cam Brown, Robert Windsor, those are two other guys who are at the combine. Steven Gonzalez was not at the combine, but uh, he's going to have a chance to, 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 to be involved with pro day. And, you know, there's always other players. A few years ago, Saeed Blocknell uh, gave himself an excellent chance to land on an NFL roster because of what he did at Penn State's pro day, spent a year with the Raiders. Now he's in the XFL catching touchdowns. So um, always something I look ahead to. I, I know you're not looking ahead to it as much as the vacation that comes before it, but you'll be back and, and we'll get a closer look at that. And we'll certainly break that down um, as the draft outlook becomes a bit clearer for these Penn State guys. Oh man, you knocked me off my thought process there with uh, with the mention of my vacation, which uh, is right around the corner. I will, I will be out next week. I have already told our readers on Lions 24-7 and uh, you might see me. I can't, like I said, I can't quit you guys. But uh, getting back to the draft, and I think it's very important to note that it only takes one team to fall in love with someone. Um, it's why Troy Apke was a fourth round pick of the Redskins. Say what you want about that, because you know the Redskins. But uh, it's uh, it, it's something that keeps coming back with Cam Brown. And Cam Brown had an average combine. Uh, would have liked to see him go a little faster than the the four seven three. Even though at that size, that's it's moving pretty well. Um, but uh, it, it's going to take one. I think that the the tape is not great. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you need to work on. You need to have roster space if you're going to bring in a guy like this. Um, to sort of build, uh, you know, I guess build up as a linebacker because there's still strides that he needs to make in that uh, facet of his game. But six five and a quarter, two thirty three with uh, a thirty four inch arms, somebody's going to take a chance on that. I feel pretty confident about that. When I was talking to some people at Penn State last spring, I don't I don't know how to phrase this without slighting anybody, but they were su- genuinely surprised at how interested NFL scouts were in Cam Brown considering his body of work to that point. Um, so I think somebody's going to take a chance on him. I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, they're going to get to see him up close and personal, moving around a little bit more at pro day. Uh, but really, I mean, 
35 and a half inch vertical, which is, you know, number 10 among linebackers. So not at the top, but not at the bottom. But when you add that 35 inch, uh, 35 and a half inch vertical to a six, five and a quarter inch frame, there's something there. And there's something, you know, just just like when we rank kids uh, as prospects, you know, these teams want to be ahead of things and don't want to miss on a guy. But if they do miss, they want to miss big. Cam Brown's a big guy. Moving on to Robert Windsor, I'm curious where he fits at the next level. He always seemed to be bigger than he was listed at. Uh, you know, he, w- he would go through the season and then seem like he would drop 15 pounds in the offseason and then bring it back around. 6'4 and a half, 290. Is he a 3'4 defensive end? That's probably, you know, where he fits the best in terms of uh, body type and things like that because I don't think he's a true three technique at, at the pro level, but tested fairly well. Ran a 4.9, ran a 4.44 shuttle, which was you know pretty good at that size. Um, so I'm curious to see where where Windsor lands. He's just a, you know, he's a cliche lunch pail guy and a tough Wisconsin guy, and and we'll see where he lands. But I think uh, I don't think he did anything to hurt himself at the combine. The NFL draft occurs April 23rd, April 25th in Las Vegas. We'll continue to cover uh, Penn State's journey to that draft, and we'll see what happens in about a month or so. Um, Sean, we're going to shift gears now, go to Mark Brennan, the Lions 24-7 basketball guru, talk about Penn State, uh, getting into the regular season finale on Saturday, and then moving on to a couple tournaments, the Big Ten tourney, and believe it or not, they are going to be in the big dance, regardless of how things finish. Moving on to March Madness, Brennan will break things down, then we'll be back to talk a lot about Penn State recruiting, some notes to get to there, but first, a word from our advertisers. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Sean and I turned our attention towards basketball. It's something that some of our audience has been clamoring for more of. The reasoning there uh, specifically was a top 10 appearance, matching the program's all-time high mark at number 9. We now welcome in Mark Brennan who covers the basketball beat here at Lions 24-7 with Fight on State. He has 30-plus years of experience covering Penn State uh, sports. I know I always tip my cap to Sean as the veteran on our show, but certainly uh, we we combined, I think we're about halfway to you, Mark. And now that I've made you feel really old, sorry about that. I'm just kind of hearing myself. Two weeks later, now that we are having you on to talk basketball, circumstances are different. Penn State came into this week ranked 20th. They blew a big lead late against Michigan State and, you know, certainly not finishing up the regular season how they would have hoped. Yeah, I love the way you guys do this. You, you, they win eight straight and you guys talk hoops and then they lose four or five <laughs> and you bring out me to, to talk about it. But, it, you know, the, the funny thing is if you go back and listen to, like, press conferences from Pat Chambers for the last five years – he always says, you know, their goal, we would always say, is your goal to get to the tournament? Is it to get to the postseason? What's your goal? And his his goal was always to be the best team that they could be at the end of the year. And it got to the point where he said it so often that I would always like, 
you know, half roll my eyes, half snicker. And uh, so now whenever he says it, the goal, you know, he goes, and I know Mark loves this. The goal is to be, to be the best team. Well, they certainly at this point aren't looking like they're the best team they could be toward the end of the year. And, and, and we'll see if they can kind of uh, pull out of this. I think there's still time to do it. I mean, for, for them, you, you finish at Northwestern, which is really struggling. And then, you know, they're going to be playing on Thursday in the Big Ten tournament. And, and honestly, the way this is gone, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for them big picture. Because I, I think that's that's by no means going to give them a, a gimme win, but it's going to give them an opponent where they are going to definitely be favored and you're going to have the opportunity to win a game. And maybe if you can you know, pull out a win at Northwestern, get something done Thursday at Big Tens, maybe, maybe you kind of get your footing again and, and get on a little bit of a roll. At this point, I don't think it's realistic to think that this is a Big Ten title type team. I just don't know that they could put together the wins to do it. So then what is your goal? Your goal to me then is to be the best team you can be going into the NCAA tournament. Because I do think if they are able to get on a little bit of a roll, get Lamar Stevens with his legs back, uh, get Myron Jones after missing six games due to illness, and now he's back the last couple games, get him back to where he needs to be. I still think this is a team that can do some damage at the NCAA tournament, maybe get to that second weekend or second week. Uh, so, so to me, I think at this point, if you're a fan of Penn State basketball, don't even worry about the Big Ten title because you know, if, if they're able to somehow get to that game, I think it would be near miraculous. But I think better use this last game at Northwestern and then whatever they're able to do in Indianapolis as a stepping stone to the NCAA tournament. I think they really have to look at it that way. And Penn State concludes its regular season on Saturday, 4 p.m. tip-off at Northwestern. Northwestern was win number eight of that eight-game win streak uh, back on February 15th when the Lions were surging. Uh, there was an interesting comment right around that time from Pat Chambers about Penn State being able to get in the mentality of the hunted instead of the hunter. And that's something you hear you know, from any team that goes on a surprising run and all of a sudden they've got the target on their back instead of you know, going and try to surprise teams night in, night out. Is that been an issue for them adjusting? Where do you see kind of uh, the Achilles heel that has kind of popped out here for, for these last five games and, and may kind of turn out to be the bugaboo for this team? I think that there are, I think there are a couple things. I think it's you know that's definitely a part of it because you're looking at a team that that it's even with these losses they're still a top 25 team and they're probably going to finish the regular season as a top 25 team and I I don't have their uh, net ranking here but it's still good enough that they're going to qualify as a quad one win and for people who don't follow hoops a lot the NCAA has a new setup where it's called the net ratings and if you beat teams that are ranked highly enough, I don't want to get into all of the minutiae of it. You know, it's called a quad one. There's quad two, quad three, quad four, quad one being the best. Penn State's been a quad one win for everybody who's played them. So what that means is that that pads anybody's NCAA tournament resume. And so when they're playing Penn State, Penn State's getting everybody's A game. Just like when Penn State was fighting unsuccessfully to make the NCAA tournament the last few years. When they were playing quad one teams, they were, you know, oh, you know, this is a game you must absolutely must win. So that that is that's part of it. But I think the other part, you, you know, you can't look past the fact that they did some things without Myron Jones, who is by far their most consistent 
and dependable three-point threat. You know, he takes a lot of three-pointers. He's making 41% of them. Um, so he's not the highest on the team in percentage, but when you factor in the number of attempts and and how and his percentage, he is their most dependable th- threat. And somehow they went four and two, won a game at Purdue without him in the lineup, which was kind of amazing. But I think toward the end of his absence, you started to see where it hurt not having him, and they just weren't shooting as well from three. And you know that most certainly was the case in in the in the close win over Rutgers, where they shot well from three in the first half, and then were one of whatever in the second half, and then against Michigan State, even with him back, they were ten of seventeen from three in the first half, and then zero of thirteen in the second. You you can't do that. You can't if you're not making three pointers, you have to do something else. Maybe try to get the ball inside to your to some of your All Big Ten player or to your All Big Ten player. Uh, you know, have guys drive a little bit more, that sort of thing. So I think the lack of three-point shooting is number one. And then something came up at the end of the Rutgers game, and that was three games ago. So they they edged Rutgers in the middle of last week, lost at Iowa, and then lost to Michigan State. And toward the end of that Rutgers game, for the first time in his career, Lamar Stevens seemed to lose his legs. I mean, they ju- he just did not seem to, to, to be that dynamic athlete that we've come to know. Now, that, that's not knocking his effort. His effort has been A+. Plus, you know, be, but when he doesn't have those legs, that impacts his shot. He's missing dunks that he's never missed. Uh, you know, everybody knows when you're taking that mid-range jumper, you need your legs to be there. And it's odd, Tyler, because, you know, I'm looking at the stats right now. And even after playing 35 minutes against Michigan State, they've done a pretty good job. He's only playing 30.8 minutes per game. Now, that is not a lot of minutes. For people who have followed Pat Chambers' teams, you know, there were years when Tony Carr was averaging 38, 39 minutes where he would really lean on his best player. So I'm not sure if Lamar tweaked something, if something happened. I don't know what it is, but there's absolutely no question if you look at his offensive production the last few games – He's really struggled from the field overall. He's short-armed free throws, which has really never been a problem. Usually if he would miss them, they would be, you know, side or maybe a little bit long. So I think those two things, your lack of three-point, consistent three-point shooting, and Lamar Stevens not seeming to have his legs. And I think that's what could bode well, is that when you get Myron Jones back, I think that could help you with your consistent three-point shooting because people are going to have to pay attention to him, and I think that opens up some other people. And, you know, in this Northwestern game, I don't care if it's a tight game. I don't care if they're in danger of losing. I think they have to be really smart with Lamar Stevens' minutes. I really do. I think they have to keep him under 30 minutes. Then you hope he gets his legs back before next Thursday at the Big Ten tournament because when that guy has his legs, he's one of the best players in the, in the conference, if not one of the best players in the nation. When his legs aren't there for him, it's a whole different story, and I think it really impacts the team. Let's stay on Lamar Stevens, Mark, because last month he became the third Penn State basketball player to surpass 2,000 career points. Still some story to be written, potentially a major chapter of his story at Penn State to be written, depending on how March goes. But to this point, what kind of legacy does he leave in the all-time uh, you know, Nittany Lions basketball lineage, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think without question. I mean, he's the best player that I've seen. And yeah, I don't go back to Jesse Arnell. I'm not quite that old, but I, I don't think that's an apples-to-apples apples comparison. Jesse Arnell was a great player in the 1950s. 
when basketball was really a different game. So I, I think if you look at, you know, we could say the modern era, however you want to say it, I've seen a lot of really, really, really good players for Penn State. You know, not NBA superstar type players, but guys who just did a fantastic job here. You know, the Joe Chrismans, John Amici, Matt Gaudio was a guy people may not remember, but he was a heck of a player. Tony Carr was really good. Taylor Battle. You know, I'm sure I'm leaving people out uh, who are kind of obvious, but I've seen a lot of the really, really good players. And to me, when you look at the package that Lamar brings in terms of um, rebounding, scoring, athleticism, athleticism, the leadership he showed in coming back for his senior year, you know, no disrespect to any of the other players that I've seen, but I, he's, he's the best one that, that, that I've seen. And I, I feel very comfortable saying that. You know, it's, it, it's weird when you've been on a, a beat this long you almost wonder sometimes you think is it just am i just seeing the the thing in the rearview mirror that's the closest you know and i had to, i had to kind of get over that with saquon barkley in football it's like is he really the best player i've ever seen and then you start then you take a step back and it's like my goodness yes he is the best player i've ever seen and it's a little bit like that with lamar when you take a little bit of a step back and see see what he's done scoring rebounding blocking shots steals all of those things, and to end up as the the career leading scorer, I, I I would like to see somebody make an argument against it because I don't think there there really is one, and that's why. L- listen, we're objective as we cover these teams, but Lamar Stevens has been nothing but a class act, and that's why I'd really love to, for, to see him in these last few games get back to being the Lamar Stevens, you know, kind of physically that that he has been because I think that would be great for him. I think it would be great for Penn State, and I think it would be great for college basketball and the Big Ten in general. You and I were down in Dallas, saw Saquon Barkley throw the peace sign at the, at the Eagles defenders, and, and, that, and you see stuff like that, and you're like, yeah, what we saw was legit. We'll see what yeah. lies ahead for Lamar Stevens, but regardless of, of what you know, his professional career may turn out, you know, he certainly got a nice ovation. It wasn't the way he wanted to go out. Um, on, on the other night uh, on home court, senior night. But the other senior to focus in on, and what a r- roller coaster ride it's been for him, is Mike Watkins. You've covered his process, uh, you know, kind of w- carrying that unsung hero label a little bit at times, you know, coming off the bench and, and doing some other things compared to where he was a couple of years ago. Um, the, the mental issues uh, that, that he's dealt with and stepping away from the game and becoming open about that. He has to be one of the more unique individuals that you've covered with this program. Yeah, without question. I mean, it's it's too bad that we really haven't gotten any opportunity to get to know him. And, you you know, I guess you understand it that, you know, he's gone through some mental health issues and they really don't want to make him available to the media. But I think there's a side there, you know, they made him available to BTN to to do a feature. And I think people saw how well he carried himself. And it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that. But, you know, absolutely. I mean, your, your heart goes out to him for what he's had to deal with. But I also think this is one area where whatever people want to say about Pat Chambers, you know, you love him or hate him as a coach. And I think he's, I think, irrespective of this last little spell, I think he's done an outstanding job this year as a coach. But what he's done with Mike Watkins, I think, really speaks to, listen, there was, you can talk about what Mike Watkins means to this team, but I would make, I think an argument could be made that at times they're better when John 
Kamara's in there just because I think he's a better he's a better uh, switch out defender and, and that sort of thing. So my point being not to knock Mike Watkins, but Pat Chambers did not have to stick by this guy and deal with all the drama of the last couple years before things kind of evened out. And and you know, good for Mike that they did even out this year, but he did, you know, and and he's you know he's he's reaping some of the benefits now. You know, I think you know to Mike's credit. When Pat made the switch, you know, earlier in the Big Ten season and began starting John Hara and and only giving Mike, you know, 20, 21 minutes, number one, that was a stroke of genius by by Pat Chambers because as we've come to see, that's when Mike Watkins is at his best. If you get him past 20, 21, 22 minutes, then there's a, a, a an element of diminishing returns. His game really falls off. But if you could get him in there for 20 minutes – and, you know, he started on senior night. We'll see what happens moving forward. But and then give him the opportunity to come off the bench and kind of see what's happening, gauge things, get in there and then do what he does, which is rebound extremely well, block shots, give you some scoring in the paint. Uh, you know, I thought that that worked out. That was a, a really smart move by Chambers. And I give Mike Watkins, who is a senior, a lot of credit for being a team guy, knowing this is his last year. And you know what? There was no on the court. There was no discernible difference in his attitude after they made that change. And I think that speaks very highly of Pat. I think it speaks very highly of Mike. And you know, good for Mike that he's been able to overcome this stuff. And hopefully, he's able to parlay this into something where he can make a living via basketball because he certainly has those skills. You know, it's it's going to be a matter of you know how much is he able to play in games kind of moving forwards. If, if we've seen it in college game, his sweet spot is kind of 20, 21, 22 minutes. Does that change if he gets to the professional level and all he's doing he's, is dedicating all of his time to basketball. Now, maybe he could extend that a little bit, but uh, credit to, to Pat credit to the coaching staff credit to everybody in the program you know, the, the people who help them with their mental health, the doctors, all those people for getting Mike Watkins to where he is now. Because I think the alternative, had they not stuck with him, you know, I, I think it's it's fair to say it would be concerning where he might be right now. So so it, this is this is a happy ending. No matter how this no matter how this season ends for Penn State, uh, you know, wins and losses, this is a happy ending for Mike Watkins. And it's good to see. Watkins turning 21 minutes per game into almost 10 points, seven and a half rebounds, 54.5% field goal percentage uh, at this stage of the season. A pretty impressive production with that amount of time. And as you said, uh, I just said all those numbers. Those are nice. What he does on the court is nice. But sometimes we forget how difficult it is to be 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 and have those pressures of being a high-level college athlete, what's going on back home and what's going on upstairs. A lot goes into this that sometimes we just don't focus in on because we're so uh, you know, thinking about the athlete, thinking about what they're going to do in the, in the sport. So, Mark, turning away from Watkins, we talked about Stevens. Jones get, getting back is huge and what he brings, especially from beyond the arc. We see, though, in big games, whether it's a conference tournament, March Madness, you get to the NCAAs, there's a player who's maybe fifth or sixth on the team in scoring, uh, maybe averages six points, and then he puts up 18 in one game. He gets hot, and it makes the difference, and it sends the team to the next weekend. You see it all the time that first weekend, you know, where a guy steps up. 
who would you pick on this Penn State roster to be that potential X factor uh, where it may not be sustainable for several games, but he may get that one game for you and it could be enough to push you into the, the second or third round of the tournament? Well, that's another. I probably should have mentioned this earlier, Tyler. That, but that's when they were winning eight games in a row. You never know who you never knew who was going to come up big for them on a given night. So I don't think it's one guy. I mean, I think we've seen where you know Miles Dread with with all of his shooting problems during that eight game winning streak, he buried a, like several daggers. And if he gets hot, look out. We saw Seth Lundy with what he's done on occasion. I mean. Uh, the freshman forward out at Iowa bombing in all these three-pointers. He did the same thing at Purdue. Uh, Isaiah Brockington. I would really keep an eye on Brockington. I'm not sure that they've given him enough minutes. I mean, he's the one guy who, outside of Stevens, can score slashing to the basket, can do a really good job of that. Myron Jones can do it as well, but I think of the guys who aren't you know, the heavy minutes guys. And Brockington, I guess he's averaging 21 minutes, so he's playing a fair amount. But I think you know he can do it defensively. He gets up and down the floor, and he, you know he's not going to kill you on three pointers. Um, he's shooting what twenty six percent, but he can slash. He can he can get loose on the fast break. And then you know you have a guy like um, Curtis Jones, you know a senior. How many times have we seen it? Even though he's a grad, even though he's a grad transfer, how many times have we seen seniors who they get to this point and they realize, you know, the 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 one I remember the most was Ross Travis. He was a big guy for Penn State, ended up playing tight end in the NFL. And, you know, he just struggled for his entire career. And then he, you know, he got to the last couple games of his senior season in the Big Ten tournament and looked like a beast. It's like, where was this guy the whole time? And you realize that, you know what, it sunk in that he, it's now or never. So I know I'm I'm skirting your question, uh, <laughs> but I, I would say, listen, if I had to pick one of those guys, I, I think, you know, Miles Dredd is a guy who Pat has stuck with. And I think that's paid dividends. And I think you never know when he could heat up and give you 20, 25 points. You know? And I think if he's able to do that, look out. This team, you know, that's uh, – so I'll go with Miles Dredd with the caveat that there are multiple guys who can step up. And that's what makes this team so dangerous. You know, They just needed to get back in that group where some of these guys are stepping up. And the other thing I would say is, you know, I, I think we saw it against Michigan State. Pat, it, when, when it gets to crunch time – he it, it it's kind of in his DNA to to kind of close shop and play his starters as much as he possibly can, and I I think with the depth that they have, I think you can't get away from that. I think now is when you really want to reap the benefits of the of that. It's the it's late in the season. Lamar Stevens is struggling a little bit physically. The other team's tired. You're going to get in the Big Ten tournament, and maybe you're playing two games in two days or three games in three days. You. you to rely on your depth again, realizing that you're going into this Big Ten tournament, you don't need to win the tournament to get into NCAA's. Use this as a stepping stone. Be smart. Well, depending on which bracketology you you believe in, and there's plenty of options these days. Uh, it looks like the Big Ten could get double digit programs into the tournament, That's which crazy. is a pretty pretty absurd number, obviously, and it kind of reflects on, on this season. And my alma mater, Rutgers, looks like they're going dancing, which. I did not see coming. I know there's plenty of Penn State fans here who have been pretty shocked by the fact that the Nittany Lions are going to be there. Right now, I'm looking at Jerry Palm's like live time updates, I guess, where, where it consistently feels like hour by hour. You, 
updating the seeds. Penn State is in a four spot right now. You've seen this team more than anybody, as much as anybody. Where do you feel, without asking you to assess the entire landscape of college basketball, what do you think is the appropriate seed for them where things stand right now? Barring a Big Ten run or barring a Big Ten first-round loss, where do you see them seed-wise? What do you think would be fair? I think five, six. I mean, I think Palms, did that come out Monday or is that like the most recent? It says it's the most recent, but I don't know how. Yeah, I, think, know, that, yeah. I think that came out Monday. Uh, but, I, you know, I think if you look at, and I, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but as of uh, Monday or Tuesday, Penn State was tied with Maryland and Iowa for the most combined quad win and quad two wins in the Big Ten. And I think they were like, though that group was tied for fourth or fifth in the nation. So regardless of what's happened, I, I think when you look at what Penn State has done schedule-wise, uh, not just the wins they have, but I think it was 13. So they have 21 victories overall. 13 of them are against quad one or quad twos. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. And then you add in the fact that they won a game at Michigan State. They won a game at Purdue. They won a game at Michigan. I mean, I went back in this decade. I think there was only one other team that did that. I think it was Iowa in like 15 or 16. You do not see many teams that go on the road and do that sort of thing. So, I, you know, the NCAA selection committee loves that kind of stuff. And I think that's why, despite some of the recent losses, people have Penn State so high. I think given the most recent loss, not sure they'll stick at that four level. I think they can maybe earn that back at the Big Ten tournament. But I would say right now, five, six. And, you know, obviously, if they're five, that puts you in the dreaded 5-12 in the, in the NCAA tournament. But I think at this point, you don't even worry about that. To me, Tyler, I'm, I'm worried less about their seed and more about where they end up. Because that, when, when you see everything that's going on with, you know, airlines possibly cutting back on flights, I just think it would be great if, for Penn State hoops, if they get to a tournament and for once... You know, the last couple times that we've covered Penn State hoops that they've gone to the NCAA tournament, one was at Arizona. Uh, the one before that was in New Orleans, which was fantastic, by the way, but that still <laughs> didn't give Penn State fans an opportunity to get there. And then they went from New Orleans to Atlanta. So, you know, the last time I think Penn State fans really had an opportunity, you know, Providence you know, and before that Syracuse. So I think for the, for, for the sake of the program, uh, if they were able to get in upstate New York or Cleveland, you know, either one of those would be, would be awesome. And they would be, that would be especially awesome for any beat writers who have to schedule travel on very short notice. So I'm not saying that as a fan, I'm saying that as a cheapskate who doesn't want to have to pay to go to Spokane or Sacramento to to cover a, a first round game. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, let's hope that Palms uh, isn't quite updated because it's got you going to the Pacific Northwest out to Washington and Spokane, which uh, <laughs> for, for a variety of reasons right now would be just a logistical nightmare potentially. But um, we know you'll be covering them where, wherever they end yeah. up. And whenever the ride does end, Mark, we'll have a nice soft landing waiting for you back here in Happy Valley because spring football is just two weeks away. Uh, we're about to get back into that mode where we put the football team back in, at the forefront. Although, let's face it, they're rarely out of the spotlight here at, on our site and, and in Happy Valley. Uh, you, myself, Sean, we spoke about it earlier here on the podcast. I got a chance to go in for the annual 
check in with Dwight Galt and and get a chance to see these guys in the weight room. Not everybody involved there. Don't see the early enrollees. Don't see some of the younger players on the roster. But the big names were present. And as always, getting to get a few questions to Galt over the series of 10, 15 minutes always proves beneficial. We've got a lot of coverage up on the site. You've got the full video of that conversation up on the site. Just curious what your takeaways are. And you have seen so many iterations of a Penn State football roster. Maybe how this one measures up when you just apply the eyeball test to these kids in shorts and T-shirts. Yeah, I think number one, and excuse me while my phone is ringing here, I actually have a landline still that I never use. What and is that sound? What the I heck know. is that I, have, I don't even know why I still have it. That's, that's a reminder, folks. That, you know, <laughs> if, I, I apologize, but it's a good reminder. that. Uh, but listen, I think the, the one thing that stands out to me when you walk in that weight room is you look up at the big board. And for people who don't know, they have a board that has the top performers and all of the different things, you know, overall, you know, by position. So, you know, 40 yard dash, NFL, NFL shuttle, uh, broad jump, vertical squat, uh, clean bench, all that stuff. So w- when you look at it, it always amazes me how that thing is constantly evolving, like you know, obviously, I think Saquon's going to be at the top of a lot of those running back things for a long time. But all of a sudden, you see Journey Brown popping up at the top of the running back list for forty-yard dash, and uh, you see Saquon's team bench press record going down to Antonio Shelton. And so, to me, it's it's a dynamic thing where you don't have you you just just don't have a couple great athletes who have been here. People are attacking that board. Every semester, you're seeing new names go up there or names moving up the board. So to me, that that is the thing that I think it reflects on the quality and depth of their recruiting over the last several years. Yeah, every class hasn't been a top three class or a top four class or a top five class, but I think they've put together back-to-back-to-back-to-back recruiting classes that even with people leaving inevitably, which is happening everywhere via the transfer portal or taking off early for the NFL, I think the depth of athleticism is greater than we've ever seen in this program. And that's saying something because in the the late 90s, they had some absolute freak athletes. But I think, you know, you obviously back then you had, you know, uh, LeVar, uh, Arrington, Courtney Brown, you know, a lot of really, really good guys who went on to play in the NFL. But I think the depth now, is what is really setting it apart. And I, I always, th- this is going to sound a, a little weird, but besides just the, the physical prowess, I love going to these things and live for life because I just enjoy, enjoy hearing from Dwight Galt. I mean, that guy, I'm, he deals with the media twice a year and it's always two of the best things we ever have. Right. I mean, it's, it's, He's just a joy to talk to. He thanks us for being there. And this isn't being negative toward anybody else because Franklin thanks us all the time. And I think James is great with the media. And I I think Patrick Chambers is good with the media. But it's like you're talking to a friend, isn't it? I mean, maybe because he doesn't have to deal with us that much, why he can take on such a nice. But isn't it one of the most enjoyable things that you do? And seriously. In terms of in terms of work, and not in not in terms of your regular life, I'm sure you have other enjoyable <laughs> things. But I think in terms of work, I, I always I just really appreciate the time he takes and the honesty of his answers. He obviously can't tell us everything, but we get more 
info out of those things than, than anything else. Oh yeah, it, and it's you know this is the time of year where you can't help but speculate a lot about a lot of things. We're not quite to spring ball yet. We're pretty far removed from the 2019 season, and what we've got is you know kind of you know what we're hearing and, and what our VIP access uh, allows people to check out, and what you, Sean, <laughs> and myself can bring to the table. But yeah, this is some concrete evidence of how things are developing behind the scenes, and again. All that coverage is up there. And then uh, spring ball right around the corner. Year number seven of James Franklin is underway, but it'll really feel like we're underway with that when the pads are out again uh, in mid-March. Mark, we will catch up with you when it's tourney time, and, and we'll get a, a, a kind of regroup and, and collect our thoughts and see where things stand with Penn State basketball. But between now and then, we'll be talking plenty, you and I. But thanks for getting on the podcast, and thanks for giving those Penn State basketball fans out there uh, some signs of hope and a little more context on the season so far. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's been interesting to see how many people have jumped on the Penn State Hoops bandwagon. We'll see if they stay there after this little little drought. Uh, but for Penn State Hoops fans, the diehards, uh, that, I'm also, it would be nice to see them end up somewhere relatively close. So all these, the people who are the real diehards, and there's not a ton of them, that they would have an opportunity. So if you're a Penn State Hoops diehard, I'm rooting for you to be able to go close to home to watch this team in the NCAA tournament, not just because I'm a cheapskate and want cheaper travel. I'm rooting for you not to have to have two connections to wherever you're going for this trip. So, Mark, thanks as always. We'll catch up with you soon. Yep, thanks. Big thanks to Brennan. We'll see where the next few weeks take that Penn State basketball coverage. Uh, Returning focus to Penn State football, specifically on the recruiting trail. A lot going on right now. The dead period is done. It's top list season right now across the country. It's been a busy week. Uh, We've seen a couple running backs uh, who are four stars in 24-7 sports composite. Amari Daniels down at uh, Miami Central. That's a program that has produced a bunch of talent at the running back position. Uh, Devontae Freeman. Uh, Willis McGahee, uh, Delvin Cook, all coming out of that school. Corey Kiner uh, out of Cincinnati, a, a, another running back to know, put Penn State in this top group. Texas offensive tackle Matthew Wyckoff, a couple South Florida defenders, edge rusher, linebacker, defensive end, depending on who you talk to, Dallas Turner, and additionally Deshaun Adeline, um, who is a, a player out of uh, South Florida as well, a linebacker, a four-star in composite. So I just threw all those names your way, Sean. Those have been in like the last five, six days. Anything stand out from that group? I know the Florida stuff is always tricky. Well, first, a clarification. It's top list season. You got a little quick on that uh, pronunciation there. Um, I'll let you figure oh, that one out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that's a lot of Jaywan Sider work right there. Uh, Daniels and Kiner are two guys that he's been recruiting for a while at running back. And then, of course, Dallas Turner and Deshaun Aligne, uh, both South Florida guys. So, I mean, if, if any more evidence we needed of Jaywan Sider, not that we did need any more evidence of Jaywan Sider, doing a heck of a job. Uh, Matthew Wyckoff from Texas put Penn State in his top seven, which was a pretty recent offer. But you go back and you you know, you know peel the layers away of the onion, and he was offered by Boston College. Phil Troutwine uh, has had a connection. Troutwine, when he was at Boston College, recruited Texas. So there's a little bit of a, uh, of a, a prior relationship there. We'll see if we can build on it. It's going to be tough to pull a talented kid out of Texas, but get him up for an official visit. You see what happens. Uh, I think that holds true for a lot of these guys. So um, Daniels, Kiner, Wyckoff, Turner, uh, Aligne, 
I mean, all quality prospects. And I think, you know, I don't see, you know, it's it's not something where you're ever going to see Penn State turn into, you know, this nationwide recruiting, uh, you know, program where it's going out and, you know, recruiting national level like like in Ohio State. It's just so hard to get here. There's so many things that are going against them in that aspect. Um, but they can recruit these areas that they know really well. Of course, South Florida, When you, as long as you've got Jaywan Sider on the coaching staff, that's a place where you have to go. Texas, you know, you play off those prior relationships and you hit the hot spots that you need to hit. And, you know, that's kind of coming out in some of these lists. And uh, by the way, we have content and context for each of these guys that we were talking about up online, 247.com. Steve Wiltfung has weighed in. It's been a prominent thing that I've been writing about this week, trying to catch up with some of these things. Uh, lists can be tricky. Sometimes yeah, it's a hat-on-the-table situation, uh, and sometimes you don't even know if an offer is committable. But it's always, uh, you know, when they start to get to four, that's what Amari Daniels' list was, only four teams and a Miami running back. That was one that specifically piqued my interest, especially because of what he did last year, almost 200 rushing yards, four touchdowns in a state championship game. And as I said, coming from a Miami Central program, that has a tremendous pedigree, uh, just about up there with any prep program in the country, I'd imagine, uh, at the running back spot. Speaking of Florida, uh, three new offers out in this recruiting cycle to 2021 targets. Uh, four-star offensive lineman Caleb Johnson reported his on Thursday evening. And then a couple wide receivers, Marcus Burke out of Jacksonville, uh, Trinity Christian Academy, and Malik McLean, who was in IMG Academy, but he comes there via Alabama, much like Noah Kane a couple years ago. They get transplants from other part of the country. It is a, a national draw there in Bradenton, Florida at IMG. McLean is very interesting because Penn State's actually his first offer uh, since the new year started, so that's a significant chunk of time, but he, he drew some good reviews from, from 24-7 Sports at the Orlando uh, Under Armour Regional last weekend. He is six foot five, 195 pounds. He's obviously going to get a ton of exposure being at IMG Academy this year. So maybe a guy that skyrockets Penn State maybe gets in there before uh, everybody else. Uh, he's, he's got plenty of offers, but I think you're going to see more top-tier programs enter that mix if he can prove himself. And then Marcus Burke has a history with Stubblefield. I caught up with him for a story on the site earlier this week. Uh, Stubblefield was in touch with him and pushing for him uh, on behalf of the Miami Hurricanes up until about six, seven weeks ago when he switched over uh, to Penn State. So a couple names to know and and you know these aren't necessarily you know throwing darts at the board at this stage I think you know this is a point where you're trying to to see who who can get up for official visits and again this is a a class with two commitments on board right now and I know it's still nine months away from the early uh, signing period but uh, these offers I think at this stage still mean something uh, in this cycle. Yeah, they probably do, and they probably don't. Just uh, considering where some of these are, I mean, it, it, it you're not on the hook as much if you offer a kid from, you know, say Jacksonville, Florida, and Marcus Burke. Uh, you know, it's not something that you absolutely have to follow through. On the other hand, you know, they they uh, offered Tyreek Chappelle out of Philadelphia this week, Philly Northeast, which of course. Uh, Dion Barnes, who is now a graduate assistant at Penn State, uh, you know he was the defensive coordinator there. They've got Elijah Judy, they've got Ken Talley, a couple other um, you know younger kids as well. Uh, but uh, Tariq Chappelle, interesting kid uh, because you, you know you think you're standing pretty solid at corner right now. Of course, you know Tony Grimes is going to be a long haul. You've got some of these other prospects in the region um, that you're going after. But Tyreek Chappelle, you, you flip on the tape, there's a pretty good football player there. The length shows up, the the playmaking ability shows up. Would like to know what he runs personally, but uh, you know that's another in-state offer and. 
it's really interesting when you look at the 2021 class. Uh, they offered a lot of in-state kids early. Uh, some of those guys maybe haven't progressed the way that you thought they would. So, uh, you know, we, we talked about how in-state offers were kind of different than out-of-state offers. They are, but things can change eventually. You know, not every in-state offer is going to be, um, you know, committable at, at the time, you know, if enough time passes. Um, this one, you know, you want to get Chappelle back on campus or, or on campus for the first time. I uh, want to see what he can bring to the table. And he's got that relationship with Dion Barnes. And maybe you get back into Philadelphia a little bit, uh, you know, because things are kind of, I guess, lagging there. Part of that's the talent that's available there. Part of that's, uh, you know, the the recruiting that they've done there in the last couple of cycles. But you've got Dion Barnes now. That's going to have some sort of impact on those guys. Don't know if it's going to be uh, quantifiable in the immediate future, but it's going to have some kind of impact uh, at a school that's starting to produce some pretty good talent, especially for a public school in Philadelphia. I had a discussion with Chappelle on Thursday afternoon, and, and he said, you know, he used the phrase comfortable for what Dion Barnes to him represents at Penn State. It gives him that built-in comfort. He has not been to campus yet. That's going to change. He has plans to, to visit Happy Valley later on this month, and, and that'll be important for him. And um, who knows? He, he's a guy that right now, uh, you look at the rankings, they don't blow you away. I think he's outside the top 800 overall in 24-7 sports rankings. He's right around number 20 in the state of Pennsylvania. Then you look at the offer sheet. Uh, he's been collecting Power 5 options in bunches since January. Uh, Miami, Tennessee, West Virginia among schools there. Old Miss new staff offered him. And then Texas A&M enters the picture. We know they've gotten a connection uh, from that Philly region and, and and that's a spot where guys from South Jersey, Philadelphia ha- have more routinely been looking toward College Station. They offered him within 24 hours of that Penn State offer. So he's a guy who's on that rise. Maybe the rankings will reflect that down the road, but uh, uh, a player that's certainly getting the campus. Dion Barnes, uh, that, that, that built-in uh, relationship with, with him and Judy and Tally and uh, you, you wrote this last week they had a lot of success together last year seven shutouts for that Northeast squad uh, on their way to the to the playoffs so uh, an impressive stuff from that group and and you, whenever you see an offer in state uh, especially at this point in the cycle um, it's been a little while so Chappelle stood out to, I think to, to both of us no doubt no doubt and Going back to what you said about Barnes, that comfort factor, not just for the players, but some of these guys, especially for as the defensive coordinator at Northeast, you know, he knows these parents, he knows the people, the coaches around there. So, you know, will you see a big boost in Philadelphia recruiting because he's on the staff? I don't know about a huge uh, wave or anything like that, but they're going to benefit from having him around. And, you know, obviously he's he's here to elevate himself in the coaching ranks as well. So um, it's uh, it's a quality addition and it's and it's, you know, it's kind of got uh, it's kind of got branches that go off from it. So we're going to continue to see these these kind of things, especially in that area. Yeah, and you and you wonder a little bit if Barnes isn't on uh, with the program right now and and back w- working with that staff. Do they make this offer without maybe getting him up to a camp this spring in the summer um, and, and getting eyes on him firsthand on campus? And you know, as I said, has not been to Penn State to this point. Whereas you know he he said himself, Ch- Chappelle said it, it makes an impact because Barnes has firsthand knowledge of, of what he can do and and he can tell the staff that and um and clearly there was enough there to to pull the trigger on that offer before he even got to campus. So. Uh, pretty noteworthy stuff. Sean, you are uh, hypothetically going to be tuning everything out Penn State uh, for the next week. Uh, any parting shots before you do? Well, it's spring break for Penn State. So, I mean, the coaches are going to go, uh, you know, they're they're off 
starting this afternoon. The players are probably a bunch of them are already home. So I don't expect a ton of news or anything like that, but going to come back strong. Spring practice starts immediately after spring break. You've got pro day on the 17th. You've got a lot going on. That's when the visitors are going to start piling up. That's when the names are going to start coming back around. That's when it's going to start to feel like something is happening. And, And right now, you know, there's, there's a bunch to talk about, but it really doesn't feel like a ton is happening. Uh, you know, can't wait for that. Uh, uh, you know, anytime there's football into the mix, we can't wait for that. So, uh, but yeah, I'm going to try and tone you guys out as much as possible, but, uh, yeah, you're on your own, buddy. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll, we'll be okay. Uh, enjoy yourself in the sunshine, bring some back. It's time for spring here as we're both looking out our respective windows at snow falling here in state college. Um, looking ahead to next week, we will be back with an episode minus Sean. Uh, we'll keep going. I think you're going to like who we got cooking for a potential guest host on the show. And also we'll tap into our final edition of early enrollee interviews. One that we've been stashing for a little while, exploring the unique international journey of new defensive tackle. Fatorma Molba, who got to campus back in January. Stay tuned for that next week. For now, we thank you. We thank Mark Brennan. And on behalf of Sean Fitz, thanks for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.